This is Josh Kindler. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Cents on the Dollar. For years, Apple had been building up features on every iteration of iPhone in an effort to convince customers to give it a shot. Stage 3 is Apple's way of keeping them and squeezing more money out of every customer, and teenagers are the key. Apple's ecosystem is a term I'm going to be using a lot. If you've ever heard any review of Apple's business model, the word ecosystem has probably come up. If you haven't, the famed ecosystem is Apple's way of ensuring that customers never leave Apple, or if they do, that it will be as hard as possible, and it is the key to stage three. In fact, it is so critical to making sure customers are loyal that its analysis makes up almost the entirety of my discussion of stage three. Apple's ecosystem consists of two main parts, iCloud and exclusive features. Almost every single iPhone user has heard the term iCloud before. Technically, iCloud is the place where information is stored about a particular iPhone. This includes text history, progress in mobile games and apps, what apps are downloaded on any given phone, and login information for different apps. Immediately after buying an iPhone, the first thing one is prompted to do is enter their Apple ID, which just means signing in with their email address and signing into iCloud. There's one really simple reason as to why this keeps customers buying Apple. It's an incredible hassle to switch over. Switching to a new, non-Apple device means losing all of your text history, unless you want to go back and check on your Mac, which also uses iCloud. Losing all progress on mobile games and select apps, needing to re-download every single app on your phone, and then consequently sign into all of these apps. This may not seem like all that much trouble, but imagine that the next time you pick up your phone, it is completely wiped clean, brand new. You have to download every single app once again, find the login information, and sign into all of these apps. Once you've done that, you find that almost all of your progress or information on these apps is gone. Yet, the biggest part of the iCloud factor is data and file storage. When using Apple products, all documents, presentations, spreadsheets, songs, pictures, videos, and files are stored on iCloud. Therefore, when switching away from these devices, users must find a new place to store enormous amounts of data. However, iCloud only makes up a fraction of the power of Apple's ecosystem. The true system that keeps customers coming back for more is the exclusive features rooted in the ecosystem. It is these features that appeal to teens so effectively and sheds light onto why four out of every five US teenagers own an iPhone. The features themselves are simple. The key is that they are all based around how friends interact with one another. Apple's most important app when it comes to teenagers is definitely messages. Even in the age of Snapchat and Instagram, which are, don't get me wrong, still incredibly popular, it is texting that is the preferred form of communication for many teens and millennials. When two iPhones text one another, or a group chat is made consisting only of iPhone users, iMessage is the technical system that is used. 
When an Android is thrown in the mix, however, iPhones automatically switch to SMS, which is quite different. In my opinion, this is the single feature that is most important in fostering the loyalty of teens because it consists of the two factors that are most important to them. It's a status symbol and creates a feeling of being included in the popular group, and it has actual relevant features that are only available to those in this superior group. When an iPhone user texts another iPhone user, or an iPhone-only group chat, the text bubbles appear in blue. However, when one is texting an Android user, whether it be directly or as part of a group chat, the bubbles appear green. It may seem silly that the difference between blue and green bubbles would matter at all, but it's not that blue bubbles are inherently better than green ones. It is simply that it's made very, very clear to users who owns the more expensive, trendy product. In that sense, it's very easy for teens to feel popular and superior with an iPhone and they feel those same feelings when they see a blue bubble appear on their screen. On the other hand, seeing a green bubble is an automatic red flag, indicating that someone is out of style. It's obviously an exaggeration to say that iPhone users will automatically like fellow iPhone users and not want to speak to the uncool Android users. But it's subtle differences that, over time, add up and really affect the way teens think. Aside from bubble colors, which are obvious, but in and of themselves, meaningless, there are actual texting features that are superior on iPhones. These include the ability to play live mini-games within the Messages app, use key images and symbols to quickly react to someone else's text, and send audio recordings. These are all features that are fun and helpful, but don't really have all that big of an impact. The features that carry a lot of weight, however, are the ones that deal with group chats. And this is because, all of a sudden, it's a matter of people being left out, which is the single biggest fear among teens. iPhone-only group chats are far, far superior. They offer participants the ability to leave the group chat, add people to the group chat after it was created, and name the group chat. A friend of mine once told me that she was in a group chat with a few other girls and they decided they didn't want to add an Android user solely because of the fact that they wouldn't be able to name the group chat. This example is particularly cutthroat and doesn't happen very often, but I would bet that the Android user contemplated buying an iPhone when it came time for her to upgrade solely because of that experience. There are similar features on other apps as well. On Snapchat, Different fonts make it clear whether a user has Android or iPhone, just like the colored bubbles. And Twitter displays links for iPhone or Android next to tweets based on the original person's device. These links are viewable to everyone. FaceTime, a very popular app installed by default on iPhones, allows iPhone users to video chat one another. It is also a huge factor in stage three of Apple's plan. Just like iMessage and the girl who was left out because she had an Android, often people simply won't be video called if they don't have FaceTime. In a way, this is even more ruthless than iMessage. At least people are being texted individually. In the case of FaceTime, however, 
teens simply are not willing to make the effort to use the hundreds of free video calling software systems that work on Android and iPhones. Of course, this isn't always the case, but a good percentage of the time, it holds true. It may seem odd on Apple's behalf to leave out all these features when iPhone users contact Android users, but clearly there's a reason for it. Teens will not leave the Apple ecosystem for fear of being left out. By now, there are almost certainly no customers looking to buy smartphones for the first time, except young kids getting their first smartphones, but this number is balanced out by people getting old and not replacing their smartphones. Yet, there are also relatively few people switching brands. Stage two of Apple's plan is over, meaning fewer people are switching to Apple, and, as I just highlighted, very few are switching away from it either. This means that in order to keep profits rising, Apple needs to make more money out of each customer. The obvious way to do this is to raise prices. Because Apple can be sure that its customer base won't leave for other brands, it has a monopolistic-like freedom with regards to pricing and development. Apple essentially has free reign to price their devices however they want, because unless prices rise to truly outlandish levels, customers will keep buying. This strategy is clear with the release of the latest iPhone, the iPhone XS, which, quite frankly, is hardly different from the previous year's iPhone X. The device started at $1,000, with large increases in price if one wants to increase the storage. The iPhone XS Max, however, which is just a bigger version of the iPhone XS, is even more expensive, starting at $1,100. Yet, people are still buying. I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I was a customer purchasing the iPhone XS. Even with the incredibly high price, though, I don't regret the purchase. To me, it was worth saving up money for a long time to buy it, because I know I'm going to get a lot of joy and a lot of use out of the product. I would have preferred to keep my iPhone 6S Plus from four years ago, but it was in bad shape, and I don't feel bad about upgrading to the 10S. Apple has also began to put a focus on accessories and other products, such as the Apple Watch and AirPods, which are wireless Bluetooth earbuds. Both of those products are relatively new, but have, in fact, had a lot of success. It will be interesting to see whether or not Apple uses the same three-step plan to promote those products as well. Either way, we can be sure that Apple will use new features, incredible marketing, and huge appeals to teenagers to ensure that their company will continue to be enormously successful for many years to come. That's all for today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed the show. If you are a Cents on the Dollar fan, be sure to subscribe to the show and check back for new episodes because depending on your device, you may not get notifications. If you could rate me five stars on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate it, and thank you so much for listening.